All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, well, you probably don't recognize me with the haircut, but my name is Walter. Uh, if you've seen me in the last few months, uh, long hair, long beard, and yes, this is me. Uh, thank you to our worship team for a great time of worship. Uh, I'm grateful we get to gather with you guys, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to continue gathering outdoors here in the coming weeks. Uh, we are going to be celebrating Father's Day today. We're going to be looking at a text talking to fathers and parents in general. But as we begin, first and foremost, I want to say Happy Father's Day to all our fathers out there, to all the men who are investing in our lives, whether you're your parents, you're just friends, whatever you're doing, investing in lives of those around you, we're grateful for you. I also want to make a note that typically during our service, this is the time where you can give your tithes and offerings. Uh, you'll see the link on the screen, homesavenue.com forward slash give. You're welcome to give online. Uh, you reach out to us if you'd like us to pick up your tithe check, anything like that. Uh, we bring this up simply because when you give, you're able to allow us to continue to do ministry efforts like our spaghetti dinner and other things we're doing to serve our community. So we're grateful when you give and we're grateful that God has brought you here today. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. Uh, we are going to be looking at uh, parenting in general with a particular focus on fathers. Uh, if you are a parent, uh, you know that uh, your children are probably the best, if not one of the best, things about your lives. Uh, even if you're watching this and you're not a parent, uh, you know that children are pretty amazing. Um, you may think they're more amazing when you get to return them to the family after you're done hanging out with them, but uh, when you and I are out in public, you see children giggling and laughing, it makes you giggle and laugh. You smile too. We just naturally love children. And with that also comes that, that love also comes a sense of obligation towards children. We want to walk with them, protect them, care for them. Ask any parent, right, if they would give their life for their child. And the answer is an unequivocal yes, but there's no hesitation in that. But with that in mind, even if you're here and you're not a parent, you still feel that same obligation to walk with children, to care for them, to protect them. You know, for many of you, you're even serving in areas like our children's ministry, and you're not parents. You're, perhaps you're not even grandparents, but you're investing in the lives of children, and you feel that weight, that call to do so. Uh, today, as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to see uh, what this idea uh, of parenting and discipleship looks like, uh, again, with a particular emphasis on fathers. But we're going to see what this looks like to walk with children, to disciple them, to see them grow and thrive in the Lord. With that in mind, I do want to start looking at the text. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. Uh, this is the time where typically we'd stand and read the word of the Lord when we're together. Uh, you are certainly welcome to stand in your home, but I'll read the text with you. Beginning in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. 
You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, if you would, would you join me in a time of prayer? Father, we're grateful for you and for the words that you've given us here. I pray that as we look at this text, we could begin to understand what it is you're laying out about fatherhood and, and parenting in general. May we learn what it is that we are to do to disciple our children. May we learn how to walk with them and see them grow and thrive in the Lord. And may we be committed to leave a legacy of gospel faithfulness that stretches throughout the generations. Father, thank you for the things that you've done for us. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so as we begin here, uh, the first point I want you to take down is that we are called to leave a godly legacy for future generations. You can see this on the screen, and I want to look at verse 1 to begin to lay the stage for this. Uh, verse 1, we'll read it again. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. We'll pause right here and kind of give you some orientation of this passage. If you're familiar with the scriptures, uh, you know that Deuteronomy is the last portion of the Pentateuch. Uh, we are seeing here essentially a part of Moses' farewell sermon. Uh, he is laying out some things for the people of Israel to follow and walk in. And this is right after their time of the 40 years of wandering. Uh, they've heard these promises and these laws before. Or they're getting ready to enter into the promised land. And they've heard these things throughout their time of wandering. We can go back to the book of Leviticus and we can see these same principles being taught. But Moses is walking them through this law specifically before they enter the land. Now, why is it important that he's doing this? Why is he rehashing this and, and going over this yet again to lay this out before them? So again, as I said, remember, they've heard this in Leviticus years ago. But throughout their time in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, they failed to obey the law. That God has laid out what is expected of them. He has called them to the standard of holiness, and they've fallen short of it. Now certainly, yes, there is grace and forgiveness to be found. That's why the sacrificial system is in place here in this time. But God is clearly showing them what it is they need to do. As they're entering in this promised land that God has said, this will be yours for all generations, there's a certain way He wants them to live. And He's saying, here's the foundation. The foundation is here that you must leave a legacy for your children. He's saying, take heed, pay attention right now. There are some things you need to focus on. As we continue on, let's look at verse, verses 2 and 3. And this is going to tell us exactly what this godly legacy is to look like. Verse 2 says, That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. So as we begin this, this passage, this text here, God wants us to focus on this primary task, right? That he, He's saying that we want to fear the Lord, we want to walk closely with Him, so that our future generations would see the glory of God. He says here, your son and your son's son. He's saying that your great-grandchildren will fear the Lord and keep his law. That this is the end goal, that we set this gospel legacy before us. 
that people would be able to walk faithfully in generations and say, looking back on things, my parents were faithful followers of Christ. My grandparents were faithful followers of Christ. And because of their influence and the grace of God, I too am a follower of Christ. See, God is calling all people, but specifically parents and fathers, to live in such a way that your great-grandchildren are going to know of Jesus because of your faith. That This is a high bar, I recognize that, but it's one that I would argue is the ultimate end goal, the ultimate end result of parenting. That we want to leave a legacy for our children, and we want one, this legacy to be one of gospel faithfulness. Think about this with me for just a moment. What are some of the things that parents say they want for their children, right? Maybe it's that they have a uh, college degree. Maybe it's that they find an incredible spouse. Maybe it's that they get the joy of having the American dream, a house with a mortgage, a picket fence. You know, you, you can just put things in there, things you want for your children, right? All good things, probably. We, we want these great things for our children, you know, for me, my dad uh, had some very particular things that he always wanted for, for me and my brother. Uh, I can remember several things that he would hope for. You know, one was just to graduate college. That I can distinctly remember this moment of going to my kindergarten graduation and my father looking me in the face, you know, and I'm here all of like six years old, and him telling me, this will not be the last graduation you go to. You know, what a powerful moment that even at a young age that I'm able to remember that and go, no, that's not going to be okay. You, you said it, Dad. I'm going to do this, right? That the foundation was laid. The expectation was set. There is a goal I've got you on a path towards, and I'm going to help you get there. There are other things that my, my father wanted. You know, it wants, he, he wants this idea of the American dream for us, right? You know, my parents were so proud, so excited when we bought our first home. You know, they just, they, they were in tears over it. And I'm thinking, it's not that big a deal. It's a house, right? But for my parents, this is kind of the culmination of investment and, and of walking with me and seeing God move in our lives. You know, he also wants to see me financially better off than him. You know, one of the things that uh, I joke about that financially, you know, my goal is to be uh, just capable enough to pay for someone else to fix my car. Uh, that's a low bar, I know, but that is essentially my goal in life. That is my definition of comfort financially. And those are some of the things that, that my parents, that maybe your parents have wanted, right? That there, there's good things, there's simple things, uh, but there are perhaps some things as we think about this desire for, for our children of what we want in their lives that we can target more specifically. What my dad is doing is that he's trying to lay a legacy, that he's trying to see that his grandchildren have a better life than both myself and him. That he is investing in these areas so that our, my, my children, his grandchildren, lead a life of fruitfulness and prosperity. All of us want to leave a legacy for our children and grandchildren, right? I, I think everyone who's listening would say that, that that's true. That perhaps even if you don't have children, you're saying, I, I would like to see the children and the grandchildren around me have a legacy laid for them. Like I, I would perhaps even want to invest in that. I think it's hardwired into who we are and how God has created us as people in His image. So why is this the case? Like Why would God give us this hardwiring to want to leave a legacy? Well, I believe that God did this so that we would desire to leave a legacy of godliness in our family. 
You see, that we would lay a foundation for future godly generations right now. And I want to take a moment and just kind of an aside for those who are listening. Perhaps you are not parents. Perhaps you, you don't have children. Maybe you're just investing in the lives of those around you. You too are a part of this gospel foundation, this legacy. Though you may not have children does not mean that you do not have spiritual children to invest in. There are men and women in this church who have taken time to love me and care for my family, even though they are not our parents or grandparents. And I want you to know that that investment is worthwhile, it is meaningful, and that you have a place to invest in the lives of others. And so with that in mind, we are to together lay the foundation for future godly generations. You see, the goal is that each day we would be laying of another brick in this path of pointing our, our family, our children, to Jesus. You know, this is a beautiful vision for the family, right? That parents would invest in the lives of their children to see them grow as Christ followers, to see them directed on the path to walk towards the Lord. But this is also one that, speaking to fathers in particular, you carry a great deal of influence in. There are some recent studies, just to, to give you some information, uh, that show that fathers contribute tremendously towards this goal. One recent study indicates that in families where fathers come to faith, 94% of the time the rest of the family comes to faith. 94% of the time the rest of the family comes to faith. When you look at when mothers come to faith, it's about 70%. When you look at when children come to faith, it's about 3%. Now, I don't say those things to belittle mothers or children or anything like that, but all I want you to see is that fathers in particular carry a certain weight when it comes to the faith. A separate work by Christian Smith, who's a professor at Notre Dame, indicates that 70% of children say they will follow the paths of the faith that their father has laid out. That means whatever path you're laying, whatever faith you're building a foundation for, that means 70% of the time children are saying, I'm following that. And so the trajectory that we're setting our families on carries huge impacts. That this will impact generations. That you've heard of these, these phrases like generational poverty where uh, when, when there's a, a series of families that have gone through poverty and it impacts future generations... We see the same thing here, that with the faith, the foundation that you lay is going to impact future generations. Will this be a foundation of faith that is found in poverty? Where there is an abundance of distrust in things of the Lord? Or is this going to be a faith where there is a foundation built on the Lord? Where future generations can point to and go, we are walking this path because of what our grandparents did. Because of what our parents did. That these are the things that weigh upon us. This is why that God would tell us that we must fear the Lord and we must see our children, our grandchildren, and keep this path. And so much in verse 3 that we see God tells us that our well-being depends upon this. That God is calling parents and particularly fathers to make disciples of their children. In the sense that our well-being depends on it, what it means is that we are going to be held accountable for this task. You see... I, as a pastor, one day will be held before the Lord when I enter into His presence and be held accountable, be taken to task for how I discipled the people of God, how I walked with the church. 
that I know that day is coming and that's a weight that I bear. It leads me to intentionally study and prayerfully consider what God is doing as we step up into the pulpit. But also on that same day, perhaps more importantly than that, I'm going to be held accountable for my role as father. That I'm going to have to give an account for what I have done to lead and direct my children to Jesus. I don't say that to, to scare you or to, to shame you, but it's here, like we have to address it. That we have a responsibility to walk with our children, to direct them, to disciple them. Ultimately, our goal is to see them become faithful followers of our Lord Jesus. I know that you feel that weight. I, I don't have to pretend that you're not listening to this as a parent going, that's true. We all want to see our children believe and walk in something. And particularly if you're a Christ follower, you're saying, yeah, this, this is what I want to do. I want to see my children walk this proper path. So how do we do this? Right? How do we do this? How do we see them follow God? Well, I think the next two points, and particularly the next two verses, address this reality for us. Uh, looking at verses 4 and 5, we're going to see that we're called to love God with all we have. We're called to love God with all we have. Let me read these verses for you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. You see these verses, and, and Moses is pointing people to the Trinity. He's given us this famous, <coughs> this famous series of verses uh, that we see here. And these words are ultimately the key to us discipling our children. You see, we must love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. What does this mean? How do we live this out? I do that every week, and we should know this by now, so forgive me for that. As we begin with this idea of heart, the ancient Hebrews believed that the heart is the center of a person, right? This is why Moses is saying that you must love the Lord with all your heart and soul and might. This is where our intelligence comes from. This is where we respond intellectually to things. This means that as believers, we must think about God and what He's done. We have to actually engage with our faith intellectually. We do this through study and prayer. Study of the Word, through prayer, through walking with the things of the Lord. We do this with uh, engaging great Christian works, right? Like the, the Bible is our primary resource, but um, we have a, 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 cheat, a cheat code to get to some further godliness, right? Like there are generations that have come before us that got a lot of things right. We want to read the things they got right and, and learn from them and grow. We do these things in order to disciple our children, that we have to be able to understand our faith intellectually, to rationalize, to learn from the text, so that we can teach these things. Now, it's not also just a head knowledge thing, right? There, there's an there's a emotional connection of that. That's the soul. That's what the Hebrews would call the soul. This part of the text points to our will and our affections. We must choose to obey God's law and commands. We must choose to be passionate about His commands. Now, you might hear that and go, passionate? Like, what, what does that mean? Like, uh, what, what, how am I supposed to display passion in terms of obedience and following His commands? It's an unusual turn of phrase, I recognize that, but it points to this, this truth that all emotion, all feelings have to be followed by an act of a will. You see, if we're passionate about something, we're going to follow it. We're going to do something about it. You know, an example that I like to use is that I can tell Kelly I love her, 
as many times as I want. But she would doubt that I truly love her if I never act upon that, i.e. serve her, care for her, tell her she looks pretty, take her out on dates. I'm not, I'm not trying to make her sound shallow in any way, but if you continually tell your wife you love her but never do anything to display that love, is she going to truly trust that you love her? The truth is she would have questions, as any normal human would, right? That when we feel passionate about things, we express that in action. That is what we're trying to say here, that our head knowledge and our heart knowledge would combine and that would be formed to hone us, to push us out to act. That our children would see us following the Lord, doing things that would display His goodness. They would see us serving in church. They would see us proclaiming the gospel. They would see us demonstrating the gospel through acts of service and kindness. That they would see us living our faith out. It's appropriate that this is found in the middle of the book of James as we're walking through this series. That the reality is that the entire book of James is about living your faith out. The title of the whole series is Faith in Action. And so as we look at this passage... We have to recognize the reality that we are called to walk with God and display our actions. Now the last point that Moses makes here is might. That we're to use all our physical strength and capabilities to follow and worship Jesus. As I've said, it is actually necessary for us to do something about our feelings for God. That faith without works is dead. You've heard this. We are going to continue to study these words. But the truth of it is... If you follow Jesus and don't physically do anything, don't actually say anything to anyone, you've got a dead faith. And your children will see that dead faith. And what they'll put their faith in, their trust in, is that dead faith. We have an immense obligation to walk and clearly, yes, love the Lord with our heart and soul, but then, using our might, express that. Now, these verses continue to direct us into the last section of Scripture here. You see, the last point we see is that we are called to actively point our children to Jesus. What I want you to hear from the, the second point is that we are to love the Lord with our heart, soul, and mind so that our children will see this love. And in seeing that love, we can now actively point our children to Jesus. Look with me at verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. We'll pause here and, and continue into uh, just a study of these few verses. We are called to actively point our children to Jesus. As God has commanded in these verses, these, these words must be on our heart. That we can't teach what we don't know. That we're to pursue Jesus through the Bible if we're to teach our children well. Now, if we're, as we learn these truths, we must teach them. And Moses uses two different ways for parents and particularly, again, fathers to teach their children. Now, he says, one, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Moses is pointing to something that I, I believe is essentially family worship times. He's saying that you've got to take a proactive time of sitting down and talking to your children about the things of God. Now, I know, as I've said, family worship times, many of you probably began to panic, right? You're thinking, oh my gosh, what do I need to do? 
Probably the first thing you think of is, I can't sing, right? Like, you're thinking of worship, you're thinking of music. I can't even sing. I can't play an instrument. How am I supposed to have family worship time? Here's the reality. I can't sing either. In fact, no one in our family can sing. Everyone tries to sing. None of us are good at it. It's okay. If that's the requirement, then I'm doomed to failure. But here's the thing. I don't think that's what the text is pointing us to. That yes, if you can sing and your family wants to sing words together, by all means do it. You should. But rather the text is telling us that we need to have time set aside with our family to talk about Jesus in the Bible. Plain and simple, we just need to talk about what God is doing in his word and in his world. That we've got to set aside time to do that. So you might ask, how do I do that, right? Like you're a busy person, so am I. Uh, Many of you work one or two jobs. You've got things going on, obligations of church and other things. Your children are busy, right? You know, you've got things going on. Well, I would suggest you to start small. That for many of us, we tend to set big goals. We're going to study the Bible together every night of the week. And that's a huge task. I'm not going to say don't do that, but I am going to say that's going to be a challenge to pull off. Rather, what I would encourage you to do is begin small. Maybe it's just something like once a week that you and your family are going to gather together to read the Bible and pray together. That That's a, a small thing, but one that has big dividends for you. Maybe you can do it every day, and, and to God be the glory if you can, but I'm not pushing you towards that. I, I just want you to be faithful in doing something, however often it can be in a week, right? If that's one times a week, seven days a week, whatever it is, just be faithful to walk with your family and teach them. That's it. Maybe you can do something like review the sermon, right? You're watching this at home. We'll be gathering together soon in an outdoor experience. And there are going to be opportunities for you to, uh, at home right now, you can talk to your kids about the sermon, right? They're in the room with you. Talk to them about what they've learned. When we're out here, you've got a car ride home. Talk to them when you're going home. You know, in Sunday school, you know, maybe when we gather back and we start having Sunday school sometime in the future, maybe that's an opportunity for you to go, what did you learn today, right? Let me tell you about what I learned. Let's have a conversation. You know, maybe even go buy a family devotion book and just walk through that. And if you're looking for something to use as a resource, I cannot recommend highly enough the Jesus Storybook Bible. Like, if you're looking for a good resource to start with, buy that. Read through a chapter a week. I promise you it will bless you and your family. Jesus Storybook Bible. Look at it. Thank me later. If you can't afford to get that, you let me know. We will buy it for you. Like, that is our number one gift to any family that has children that are of a younger age. You need this book. We want to get it for you. Forgive my side. I get really excited about that book. It's it's just such a good book. What I want you to hear as we think about this family worship time is I just want to give you ideas, right? I'm not here to tell you what's acceptable. What is acceptable is that you're doing it. What that looks like, how that's shaped, that is up to you and your family to determine. There is freedom to figure that out. But when we think about this, we've got to have these formal times of education. And I'll go ahead and address one concern that I know you have, that it's one of the number one things I hear when we start talking about discipling and teaching others is, I don't know all the answers. And my response to that is, great, I don't either. <laughs> that, that, that's the, the sum of it. That When we are having these times of education, of discipleship, here's, here's the truth. You're always going to get run into, run into with questions you don't know the answers to. That happens to every one of you. That happens to Brian and Mike and I. 
That happens to every follower of Christ on this planet who has ever lived. They run into things they don't know the answers to. And here's the beautiful thing about that. No one expects you to know all the answers. You might expect you to know the answers, but no one else does. And so with that in mind, when you run into this time, this is just a free tip for you for any discipleship environment. When you hit something you don't know the answer to, just say, honestly, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. But I'd like to talk to someone or talk to some people, and let's come back to that. And then the beautiful thing about that, you can come to Brian or I, you can come to Mike, you can come to any of the people who have who've lived their lives and have had a, a faithful life. Ask us. We'll figure out the answer with you. And then you can go back and go, hey, so I got an answer. Here's what we think is happening. That it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that when you can follow up and talk about it and see the gears move, see people get it. I just want to urge you, as we've talked about this, be faithful to pursue this. Because as we see, Moses is putting a clear emphasis on formal education. Like there's some time that you're sitting with your family talking about the things of Christ. Maybe that's in the car ride to and from church. Maybe that's, maybe that's at home right now. Maybe there's some night during the week. Like whatever it looks like, there's a time there. Now, Moses also tells us that uh, as we look at this formal time of teaching, that uh, we shall talk about them when we sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So he's pointing to something that, that I've heard people describe as just these God moments. You know, that the, these are unplanned, spontaneous moments of talking about the gospel and Jesus. That he's just talking about everyday life. You know, an example that, that I've had recently with Perry is that we, we were driving down the road and um, off to the side of the road that there was a, a dog that had been hit. Uh, it was clearly dead, laying on the side of the road. And, you know, Perry just kind of looked at it and said, that's a dead dog. And I'm thinking, it is Captain Obvious, but yeah, that's, that's a dead dog. Yeah, baby. And he said, so do dogs go to heaven? And in that moment, I could have just ignored him and cut the radio up, right? Or just pretended I didn't hear them. But we're in the car. We've got a moment. Well, let me address this. Well, hey, so we, we see that when we look at the Bible, that they're, the only group of people that have been created with souls is people. Those that are creating the image of God. That's humanity. And so humans are certainly going to go to heaven. And there may be, perhaps be animals in heaven that God may provide, but he's not necessarily out to save this dog. He's out to save you and I. That his, his purpose in this world is to see you, you and I come to faith so that we may be a part of the family. And so we're able to get into the gospel there. Now, I know that that's perhaps not a, a perfect example. Maybe that's not the easiest thing to track with. But what I want you to hear is that uh, here in, in the everyday business of life, there's a moment that just came up that we can talk about the things of the gospel. You know, I know that not every moment's going to go like I described. Sometimes you're just going to have to ignore it because you're trying to follow some directions, right? Maybe you're trying to have a conversation that's very important right this second. Maybe you just miss it. But it really just requires us to pay attention and live life with this gospel intentionality. We just need to listen, to observe, and to think about things. That Perry asked about, that's a dead dog. Okay, great. There's a conversation we might be able to have here. That the reality is if we look at everything through the lens of the gospel, we're going to see things in a different light. 
We're going to see opportunities like this to explain the gospel to our families. And just for free, this is something to consider. These conversations come up when you're dealing with normal people in the world. That is perfectly normal for people to say things and to ultimately be referencing something they believe in. And that is an opportunity for you and I to have gospel conversations. You know, it's, it's, it's not just a throwaway comment when someone says, it's been a heck of a year, hasn't it? That, that, that yes, they may just be saying it to have conversation, but the truth is they're pointed to something. They're saying that this has been a difficult year for many people. There's so much going on. Maybe they have fears. Maybe they have concerns. Maybe they want hope to be found in the midst of that. But they're thinking something about this, and so I can have a conversation go, oh, it has. You know, what's gotten you through it? And now we're there, right? We're having a conversation about the things of, of spiritual matters. The reality is we just need to listen and, and think clearly about what God is doing. Now, as we hear this, I know you are probably yet again feeling another weight or fear. Like, you know, what if I miss one of these moments? You know, or what if I don't know what to say, right? Like, I, I want you to hear this. I want you to, to, to feel this, this truth. I think it's a freeing thing to think of. Parenting is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Let me be very clear on that, that it is not a sprint. It's a marathon. That the reality is that I don't need you to just do well this week. I need you to do well for the rest of your life with your children. God willing, that's 60, 70 years, right? That the reality is that I, I don't need you just to do well this week. I need you to do well the entirety of your life. The truth is, yes, we want to hit more than we miss, right? Like we want to have more wins than losses. But I need you to remember that there is not a perfect parent on this earth. That I'm not up here giving you advice and talking through Scripture uh, from a position of superiority. Um, I am not a perfect parent. Uh, if you ask my children, they will happily tell you that. Um, they will be very clear that there are areas of shortcomings that I have. But here's the truth. We simply want to be faithful to speak about all the things that are put before us that we can. And we want to be faithful to obey the Lord Jesus. That, that that's what we want to do. That, that that's our goal with this process of parenting, is to obey the Lord Jesus and put these things in front of our children. Now, we hear that we're to make disciples of our children, and we know that we're to be faithful to proclaim the gospel to them. Well, why do we do this, right? Yes, it's to be obedient to the, to the things that God has commanded us, but there's something more here. Look at with me, verses 8 and 9. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, as we continue to disciple our children, we're doing this so that our children would uh, actively follow the things of God. That we're, we're doing this so that they would, they would be guided by the Word of God. This idea of putting a sign in your hand and frontlets between your eyes. Uh, it's this Hebrew idea of putting Scripture in places where it can always be seen. When you raise your hand to get the door, you see Scripture. When you put your hands on a steering you're seeing Scripture. That you have this thing, this frontlet between your eyes. It's hanging here like a tassel in front of you that has Scripture on it. That whatever you do, everywhere you go, you're reminded of the God who guides your path. The point of this is that the, the word of the Lord is, what, is going to be what guides our children. That if we're actively discipling them, that that's what's going to guide them. 
that the word should be bound to their hands and between their eyes, that this is to identify them as followers of Jesus and show them the way to their go. But the last thing that they should see every morning and every night is the word of the Lord, the gospel of Jesus. You see, the ultimate end of parenting is for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren to be followers of Jesus because of your efforts at proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of Jesus. That the only way we can do this, though, is if you and I are followers of Jesus. That the only way that we can teach our children how to follow Jesus is if we know this Jesus that we want them to follow. And ultimately today is an opportunity that you can become that, that you can trust in the things of Jesus. The reality of what the gospel requires of us is that God created us to have a relationship with Him. We are intended to walk closely with Him. And because of our sin, both in the garden and our sin now, we've been separated by God. That there's no secret that as we examine our lives that you and I are not perfect. We've done things that would bring shame to us, that would bring shame before God. And the truth of that is that sin and that shame has separated us from Him. But God in His richness, His kindness and mercy has made a way for us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That This Jesus that you've heard about, that you've perhaps seen in the Scriptures, that He came born as an innocent baby, born of a virgin mother, breaking the cycle of sin. And as He grew, He grew perfect and sinless like His heavenly Father. And he walked this earth for 30 plus years, living a holy, perfect life, performing miracles, proclaiming the good news of his Father and the kingdom to come. And he went to the cross, an innocent man. That even those who were of the Roman officials could look upon him and say, there is no sin here. This is an innocent man you're trying to kill. And as he hung upon that cross for the appointed time, he bore the weight of our sin and shame. He died so that you and I may have life eternal, may have forgiveness, because our debt has been paid. Our debt has been paid in full by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the response to that truth, that beautiful message of hope, is that we must confess our sins to Jesus. You see, your sins, as we've talked about a few weeks ago, where you've fallen short of perfection... You've fallen short of the glory of God. You've done things that God has said to stay away from or you haven't done the things that God has called you to do. That if we confess our sins to God the Father, He is faithful to hear them and to provide forgiveness. In doing that, by confessing our sins, we place our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The reality of our sins is that our sins have condemned us to hell. That the consequence of our sin is death and eternal separation of God. And you and I need a Savior to bring us out of this death. That Savior is Jesus. And today is the day that you can cross from death to life. Today is the day that you can lay that first brick in a godly legacy for your family. Today is the day that you can receive forgiveness of your sins and follow Jesus the rest of your days. That here in the next few minutes, we're going to have a time of prayer. I'll pray for us and give us a few moments of silent prayer in there.
You'll see homesavenue.com forward slash contact on the screen. Reach out to us on there if God is moving in your life and you want to talk to someone. We're in the Facebook feed too, so you can comment upon the the Facebook stream. You can uh, message us on Facebook. We'll be here to respond. You can reach out to me directly or Pastor Brian, Pastor Mike, any of us. We want to hear what God is doing in your lives. And we want to walk with you and see God be glorified in your life. With that in mind, if you would, would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we are grateful for you. That as we've looked at this this passage, that you have been faithful to lay a path before us. That as we're thinking about how to walk with you, how to lead our families, how to leave a gospel legacy, a firm foundation of faithfulness for future generations, that you have made the way for us. That you sent your son a perfect, innocent man, to die a death that he did not deserve. That you brought him to earth so that he may seek and save the lost. Father, as we even look back to the beginning of the story in Genesis, you promised even in the early chapters of Genesis that you were going to send a Redeemer and you have been faithful to fulfill that promise. So Father, I pray that for those of us who are listening here, that we would embrace that Redeemer. That we would trust in that promised Redeemer and we would faithfully follow Him. I pray for anyone who perhaps is listening and not sure about their relationship with God, with you, Father. I pray that their hearts would be softened. They would be open and receptive to the truth that Jesus came to seek and save them. And that they would respond with joy and with excitement over the grace and mercy He's poured upon them. For perhaps those of us that are still followers of God, that have been followers of God for years, I pray that we still respond to this message of salvation with joy and excitement. I pray that our hearts are open and receptive to the word that you've given us and that we continue to allow you to guide our path so that we may walk in this legacy of gospel faithfulness. Father, thank you for being the best father. Thank you for being the father that we didn't deserve. And that you made a way for us to have life eternal with you. Father, thank you for bringing us into this family so that we may be a part of your eternal, glorious plan. Lord, we're grateful for the things you're doing in our lives. And we pray that you continue to bless us. We pray that you continue to move in our lives. And most importantly, we pray that you are glorified by our time here. Thank you for what you've done. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you guys stand and join us in worship?